This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Pod. I'm Emily, and you're listening to She's Startin', a podcast about Bravo TV and other things, you know. How do you like my new intro music? I'm kind of I'm kind of loving it. It's tough to find and li- it's tough to sit and listen to music and decide which one represents me. Cuz then you're like, who am I? This is the season two premiere, the premiere episode, and it wasn't really intentional. It was just more timing, but I'm starting this season a little heavy and a little deep. I've got Jamie Stein on the pod today, and he is, he's an intuitive, an empath. His tagline, or I don't know if if it's his tagline, but it's something in his bio, that says I put the reality in reality TV. So he he works with clients as an intuitive, as an empath. Um, he, the testimonials on his Instagram say it all. Life-changing stuff. But he uses that skill to analyze Bravo liberties. And it's kind of a genius combination, if you ask me. So we get into mainly Vanderpump rules and then we touch a bit on Lisa Barlow because both of us are big Lisa Barlow fans. I know that's a little controversial. I'll get more into my feelings on Lisa Barlow later, different episode. But for now, I want to talk real quick, not real quick, I'll talk as long as I damn well please about something that I brought up on my Instagram page. You can follow me. I'm sure you already are. But uh, if you're not following me on there, I'm at We Speak Housewives. Um, I got hit like in the face, smacked, boom, with some seasonal depression on Monday. It started to kick in last week. I was I was falling asleep and I like flashed. I mean, granted, there's a lot of stuff that happened this around this time last year. My dad got COVID. Uh, it was actually on Thanksgiving or like the day after Thanksgiving that he went to the hospital. And he has so many pre-existing conditions that he ended up on a ventilator. And if anyone is familiar with the whole process of someone going on a ventilator, it's terrifying. They're basically dead. And so it was like a month of just, I mean, can you imagine? He was out in Florida and then um, he's a miracle. He made it. He's fine. But it was a whole month of like, I mean, it was just the darkest time in my life because I also was, I had been trying to get uh, my commission 
for I, I was becoming a notary to become a signing agent, which are the pe- the notaries that come if you're doing like a real estate transaction. They're the notary that comes by to sign all the paperwork and notarize documents. And they, you make good money. I make great money. But it was taking forever. I, I had done the notary exam. I had taken all the courses. And I was just literally waiting for everything to be processed. So whilst I was waiting on that, I was collecting unemployment from pandemic. You know, my restaurant closed down. I was collecting unemployment and or pandemic assistance, whatever they called it. And it was all backed up. So there was no money coming in. I was getting zero dollars. And it was like a solid month, maybe a month and a half of that. And you couldn't get anyone on the phone at EDD. Or you kept getting a notice saying like, you know, we're figuring it out. It was dark. There was just my point of saying all this is there were clearly reasons that I was having a pretty bad holiday season last year. Right before, because, you know, pandemic, hi, right before I had gone, I'd finally gone to therapy and finally gone on an antidepressant because right around like July, June, July, August, my depression kicked in really bad. This is last year. And the thoughts got horribly dark and The scary thing about being alone with depression thoughts is that they become facts because there's there's no one else other than your own mind to say, no, 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 that's not reality. You you do matter. You not everyone doesn't hate you. You're not the biggest burden on anyone's life. There's no one else to say that's not true. And honestly, even if someone, you know, let's say you do go to lunch with a friend and you're in this darkness. Even if they were to give you that affirmation, it's still really tough when you're with your thoughts 24-7 and they're going, nope, this is real. You don't matter. You are terrible. You're the worst. And so I reached out. I didn't, it wasn't intentional. We'd gone, I'd gone out to, I went on like a walk with my friend and I couldn't conceal how bad I was. And when I told her the thoughts I was having, she said, I think it's time you go to therapy and you get on some medication. Not in a bitchy way and like a, I'm saving your life kind of way. And it did. So I was already on 50 milligrams of Zoloft when my dad got sick and when we were dealing with, with that last year uh, during Thanksgiving into Christmas and all the way into January and into February and into March. It was horrifying. But this year, whole new year, So I still am on Zoloft. I don't think I'll ever really get off an antidepressant because I do recognize now that it's just not safe yet with my mind where it's at. Whatever. That's just, that's, it's kind of hard for me to say that, but um, that's my reality, I guess. But then um, last week I was falling asleep and this rush because it was November 1st. And so that made me think of Thanksgiving, which made me think of last Thanksgiving. And then last year with my dad getting sick and Christmas and all that. So my, I was literally like laying on the pillow and that thought came through me and I felt it just rush through my whole body. And I'm like sobbing, ugly crying 
in bed and I was pissed too because I had all my expensive skincare on and I was like, this eye cream is gone now. I'm not even going to be able to sleep and reap the benefits by the morning. And I was like, uh oh, is this that thing? Like this is, do I have depression? And then I give like, I'm going to get like a nice layer of seasonal depression too. Wonderful. But when I woke up the next morning, it wasn't too bad. And that was November 1st. So now we're, today's the 11th. That's when I'm recording this. Um, and so I woke up this past Monday, three, four days ago, whatever. It's Thursday today, the day that I'm recording this. And it was like, I, I went and did something real quick, ran and dropped something off, some work thing. And as I was driving back home, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was purely chemical and physical. It was like suddenly all the thoughts shifted in my head and everything was doom and gloom. I didn't like going on my Instagram because all I saw, it looked different. It looked like everyone was hanging out without me and everyone was friends and everyone was probably sending each other messages saying that they don't like We Speak Housewives. Whoever runs that account is terrible. And I, I couldn't get myself to post anything, create, creating posts, you know, takes, takes something out of you, but it does, it takes time and you have to put them together. And I would start putting one together and then I would be like, what's the point? What's the point? Everyone else does it better than me anyway. I mean, I, I can't keep up. Who cares what I have to say? And I went, oh shit, there it is. That's the start of the thought pattern. I know it seems so trivial, but that thought pattern is not correct. I had to go, whoa, nope, this isn't good. It wasn't as um, aha and like clean as that because I then... I was driving to I was driving to a signing and was just crying in the car. Crying in the car and saying out loud, "Okay, stop. Okay, stop. Okay, stop. You have to like, you know, dabbing the makeup to make sure the concealer doesn't totally go away, but I couldn't stop it. And I said, "Oh shit, this is that feeling, that dark, depressed feeling." Nothing mattered. I don't care. Total apathy. And for someone like like me who feels pretty deeply and is a very compassionate person, that's not good. Being like, eh, who cares? It's just not good. So my first instinct was to finish that signing, go home, and crawl into bed and hide No, my first instinct was to cancel the signing and cry all the way home and then lay in bed and cry. But thankfully, I got it together, did it, um, made my newish client happy. Then I got in the car and cried and went home and got into bed. And I thought, you know what, I'm just not, I'm just going to go totally silent because you don't, when you're in that state, you don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to explain it because you already think you're worthless and you suck and you're there's no point. Like, what do I need to explain this to someone for so that they can be like, no, you're awesome. Uh. That's and that is scary. And so I drafted 
a post because I was like, I think I need to call myself out, even though this feels like the last thing I want to do. But I know that when other people, sorry if I just hit the mic, when other people um, say, oops, I'm just a mess over here. Hello, alarm. Um, when they speak openly about mental health and their mental health, I feel so seen. I feel less alone. And I thought, I've always said I would use any type of platform I have to break the taboo curse of discussing mental health. But that is so much easier said than done, obviously. So I just drafted a post and like kept putting it away because, of course, I kept going, well, who cares? Why am I going to write this? Who cares what I have to say? But I battled through all of it. It took me hours. I'd also written like an essay and was like, "You, I can't look this crazy. And so I settled and edited and went, okay, just post it. And it was late. I didn't even realize it had already, it was like 1030 my time, which for me is very late. And I posted it and immediately responses started coming in that were positive, but still it was so, it was just so vulnerable that I, I wanted to, I wanted to delete it. (laughs) I kept checking to see who looked at it. And I would see like how many people looked at it, but didn't actually like send a response. And I'm like, those people think I'm crazy. The people that saw this and didn't respond, they think I'm crazy. Oh my God, delete it. But I kept it. I kept it up. I have not deleted it. I got an amazing response, obviously. Like deep down, I knew I would. But I... Yesterday, I didn't feel any better. So I posted that was that Monday? Tuesday, whatever. But yesterday was the day after for me now. So yesterday, it was the following day. I was still getting messages, but I still had that heaviness, that physical feeling. And I also have anxiety. So when you, when I just want to like lay in bed and not, cause I work like in my bed, basically. I've tried working in various places in my house, but the bed is just where I focus the best. But when I wanted to just close my computer and lay, just lay down in the bed, just like kind of give up, my anxiety would kick in and it would go, don't you forget all the shit you've done or the shit you're not doing and the shit you should be doing. And so then that fun kind of paralyzed anxiety happens because the depression paralyzes you, but then the anxiety makes it impossible to relax. So That's where I was yesterday and the day before, but yesterday was a little bit less gloomy because I had received good responses and I had shine. I, what I did was I took a light and I said, and I shined it right on top of that depression that was starting that those thoughts that were starting to just inhabit my every core of my being. And that little bit of light, well, it was a lot of light. It was a public post, the light on it helped to lift and and see number one other people go through this and can relate and if 
you all, I always like to think, how would I talk to someone else going through it? And as soon as I would see someone say, I also go through that, I would imagine how I would talk to them. I wouldn't say, well, you're right. Those thoughts you're having are correct. I would say, oh, I feel you. They're not real. So I was able to like kind of talk myself out of the thoughts, but you know, it's, it's chemical depression. It's not, you know, logical. So, so yesterday was better, but not great. Um, but then today I woke up and I feel lighter and it's like my eyes can see the world a little bit better. Now, this isn't to mean, um, that I'm not keeping my appointment with my psychiatrist and chatting about my dosage and maybe tweaking a little bit for the holidays. But yeah, today I feel better. Um, my message in all of this, what the fuck is my message? Um, that even though this is the most annoying advice, because like when people give me this advice, I'm like, shut up. But when you are in that place where your your thoughts are telling you that you are the worst person and you're starting to go down the hole, I, unfortunately, you just got to tell someone. You've got to go, okay, wait. Even though you feel like a mess when you're saying it, you have to get it out of your mouth. You have to like get it out of your head, get it out of your body, and you have to let other people look at it so that they can look at, say, they can like shine a mirror, kind of. You have to shine a light on it. And it's going to feel not great. It's like the worst time to be vulnerable is when you feel like that. But you got to do it. Otherwise, you go all the way down the hole. And the further down the hole you get, as we know, anyone listening to this who relates, you know, the further down the hole you get, the harder it is to climb back out. So there's my speech. There's my little message. Um, Please enjoy uh, an equally deep conversation. Well, not this deep. This was heavy. (laughs) Um, thanks for listening to anyone who's listened to this whole thing. And if you are looking for some, if you don't have a psychiatrist, I didn't have one because they're expensive. Um, I use the app Cerebral, which has both psychiatry and therapy is a little limited, um, but it is available and they have a care coordinator that you can message with at all times. So I was able to message him and say, hey, I need to get in for an appointment like now, please. And actually, that reminds me, I need to check and see if he got back to me because I have an appointment for the 29th and that is just a little too far away. Okay, we need to check in a little sooner. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. I'll see you on the other side. Speaking of Vanderpump, what originally made me want to talk to you was um, in the premiere episode of Vanderpump, we get that we don't see it, but we hear all about it when James and Max got in that fight and the, the text messages Max sent. But the part that really struck me was that when James is retelling it to the producer, he still has that level of anger. He still feels justified. And it really spoke to like, 
just because a person is sober does not mean that they have battled a whole lot of the other demons that come with it. I, I'm not, I have to call myself out. I went into this season, even though I know this, even though I know that going to AA and, and being sober doesn't cure all. I really was like, cause you know, Instagram is such a good mind fuck when it just, they only show the good stuff and they, and they're posting happy pictures. So I was like, we're going to get a whole new James. We're going to get this guy that's got it, you know, figured out. And the very first thing we see is him getting mad at Max because Max, I understand. I mean, like I used to have an anger problem. So like I could relate to that feeling of when you get hot, you don't know how to take yourself down. And then you have Lisa, you have Lisa, like totally just willing to throw her own son under the bus to like make this storyline happen. So so like dark. she's like, Max, come in here and show this friendship to all of us. And, and she I mean, James is calling him all sorts of names. He's <laughs> just like, Max, get back in here. We're not done on camera yet. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, there's so I mean, even in what you just said, there's so much to unpack. I mean, I had a similar, um, I had a similar feeling of disappointment when the season started. And then I had to kind of check myself to realize, okay, you know, my disappointment was about my expectations because I did, I assumed, and I don't know if this is because of language that James was using on social media or if it was just my assumption, I assumed. Or part of it was last season, I think he went to some meetings. I assumed he was in 12-step recovery. I assumed he was truly sober. So like you, when I saw his posts on Instagram, and he's, he's looking fit and well and alive. And I, and as someone who's always had a soft spot for him and who's been rooting for him, I really felt so genuinely happy for him. I was touched by the journey. And so then when this season started, to find out, and I want to be clear, this isn't to judge anyone's sober journey. And apparently, um, you know, watch what happens live. He said, he's like, look, this is what I can do right now. Like for right now, I can stop drinking. I still, you know, need the marijuana to get through. I know at some point I'll have to give it up. It's like, when I hear that, it's like, great. Like you're on your journey. But I think because of what I thought it was, I was so disappointed. And then yes, to immediately see him be up to his old tricks. I, I just, it was the first, as someone, James Kennedy's literally why I started watching Commander Pump Rules. I had stayed away from it for so long because I, I tried to watch the pilot and Lisa just felt so creepy to me. Just the way she was over-involved with the employees' lives. I was like, I can't do this. But then I would see these clips of James and I was just like, this guy seems so dynamic and alive and fun. So I was like, let me start watching this show. So. Yeah, I've been a huge James supporter and kind of loyalist, but yeah, to see him up to these same old tricks, I just felt so, I felt a little betrayed. I felt a little disappointed. Like I said, I had to kind of check in with myself to realize, look, as I said, he's on his journey, you know, let him be where he is. But I will say now that he's getting a little older, like he's 30 now, he's not 23 anymore. And also seeing there's a few things that really concern me. <laughs> One, the way he really disowns responsibility for what he does. Like you literally see it and hear it in his voice. We'd be like, okay, I mean, I may have said this and I may have said that. And he kind of passes it off as a joke, but energetically it is his way of not letting himself feel and own what he actually does. So I, I watch him and I feel him completely dismiss his bad behavior. And then also, seeing some of the stuff that's going on with Raquel, particularly in this last episode, I just, there's something about it now where I can feel, 
it's interesting. He didn't want to be misconstrued as an abuser. And yet that's, I've been so much more of that, aware of that energy in him this season and, and wondering about that for him and for them and where this is really all going. And at what point does he take fuller responsibility for himself? Sobriety makes the emotions more raw and real because more often than not, you know, compulsive behavior or substance abuse issues, it's buffering you. From your feelings so i mean james's anger the alcohol was never to blame for his anger it just became a vessel and a vehicle for the destructive way it came out you know it, james still has to do the work around his anger now you know and, and i and i want to clarify he's not technically sober at least by 12-step definition and he's not in 12-step recovery now that is not to say you know does someone have to do 12-step recovery no of course not but it, I think the reason why it's important for so many people is that it is a vehicle and a vessel for doing the deeper inner work that needs to be done once you've removed the behavior. So if James isn't in 12-step recovery, and if he's also, clearly he's not in therapy, I mean, literally, I mean, it's cringing hearing Raquel and him talk about like, well, I can start to meditate or I can do boxing. It's like, no, this is not going to deal. Like you have major psycho-spiritual and emotional things to work out. Fine, we all do. But if you're not doing that work, you know, they're, they're, they're in for a world of hurt. Yeah. Boxing ain't going to get you there, honey. Like you need to be in at least therapy and not the therapy that you just scheduled for the show and for cameras. Like they, you know, like Jax used to always use that same therapist, like and whenever he'd go in, he'd be like, I haven't seen you in a while. And since since last time, it's like, just stop doing it for the show and just please go to therapy. Because I fear for Ra Raquel because she is clearly struggling in the sweetest way with her own self-esteem and self-worth. And so it's a, such a dangerous combination. You know, I, you know, I know, you know, because I could see in your face, you're just like, yeah, that's it's not like it's Ariana or Katie. It's Raquel. Yeah, I mean, the thing of it is, I mean, what is really standing to me out to me just as we speak is just, yeah, I can feel James, it's weird. In a way, it doesn't feel like he's hit rock bottom yet. You know, I mean, he right? even said it. He's like, I'm not going to be that guy who's sober, you know, at, you know, DJing, which is so funny because even by his own admission, by removing alcohol, he's like, I feel clearer. I feel more in touch with who I actually am. So he's already got evidence that movement towards sobriety actually makes him feel better and more embodied but he's still he's still trying to manage the situation and as i said earlier he's still kind of tiptoeing around you know the true impact of his actions and the intensity of what he does and says so he's 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 not he's he i don't think he's been fully <laughs> humbled yet no. and he's still playing his tricks and that's the thing for me it's like you're 30 now you're getting married it just it doesn't feel as cute to me anymore as oh, it no. used to. Um, I when when I saw their cute little engagement post, I was like, I am here for it. I like I shared it and I was like, yes. Then I saw the first episode and I was like, oh, wait, no, actually, I think we need to maybe reconsider that because I don't think I don't think that was the right next. They're not ready for that step. No, I think with Raquel, you know, the vibe I always get off her honestly is i actually think underneath her what did lala call her uh bambi eyed bitch like underneath her doe-eyed helplessness i actually think she's really powerful and i think she's really strong and i think she's terrified of it and i think you know what i mean we, we learned a little bit about her history this season it was a little convoluted but 
you know, it feels to me like there was like a lot of early conditioning around for whatever reason, I'm not allowed to have kind of my powerful, strong energy. And so I think for her being with someone like James kind of works because she gets to be the quiet, soft-spoken one who sort of, you know, lives in his shadow. And it clearly works for him because he gets to be the star of the show. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. They both have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I think the question for me that I sit with with them, and I also sit with this with Tom and Katie is like, I think, look, we get into relationships for a reason. I think, you know, we sort of draw in people who we're going to ultimately bump up against our limitations. And then there's an opportunity there. We can kind of work on this and use it as a vehicle for our mutual and also individual evolving and growth, or we can just not do the work and come to hate each other and get a bitter divorce or whatever. But, you know, for me, the question always is when a couple decides to do that deeper work on themselves as individuals, it's going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to step into each, into themselves more fully and really find the way in which they truly work together in a really like in a healthier, mutually supportive way, or else they will find that they've become different people and it's time for the relationship to end. I keep wondering if James were to do his inner work, if Raquel were to do her inner work, would they be good together? I feel like they actually might be. But I, I think actually agree. Yeah. I think I agree. I think I could see them doing the work and coming to a place of just being stronger versions of what they already are and better for each other. When you brought up Tom and Katie, though, um, what is your take on that? I feel like if... <laughs> I don't even know if Tom Schwartz has the ability to go much deeper. That's just my read on it. I don't think he has any desire to. It always, it's, I always keep in the back of my mind. Remember how when Tom and Katie were getting married, Tom's dad couldn't quote, couldn't come to the wedding because of his fear of flying. Yeah. And I thought, well, that is, and also that his triplet brothers still live at home and didn't know parents. how to get a plane ticket. <laughs> didn't know how to get it. I thought, well, wow, that is like a very arrested development state of being for all people involved. I'm even, I was even shocked that Tom Schwartz moved. Um, but know, it just, right? It, right? It just didn't, yeah. like, how did he figure that out? Um, but then it, it just sort of, whenever I think maybe Tom could be, quote, better, I'm like, I think this is sort of the best he can do. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, look, you're talking to someone who works with people for a living, and I've truly seen so much growth and change in people. So I'm always coming from a viewpoint that change is possible. I mean, I think you spoke, I think you mentioned something that's the key component. Does he want to? Um, and is he willing to? I think he's capable of it. I think, you know, I mean, to me, Tom just seems like a classic example. And I see this all the time, and we all have our version of this, where clearly his rage is so deep because we see the we feel the flavor of it in his passive aggression and i just think he for him he doesn't want to let himself know like how dark it is how deep it goes because then he thinks that's going to mean i'm a bad person so he doesn't even want to let himself go there not realizing that if he were willing to let himself know that part of himself and why and where it comes from like well then that'd be information for him about his history and how it impacted him and if he could bring that into consciousness i want to be clear in a in a supported like healthy way like with with help not like bring it into consciousness like leaking all over katie or whatever um you know he would reconnect with himself and his own energy and find compassion you know for those parts of him that 
got suppressed. So I feel like I'm rambling now, but I think for him, it's just, he's so invested in the good boy act. And this is the problem I feel like with all these people who are on these shows is that now it's gotten him successful, you know? So it's like, how do you, you know, how do you stop the hustle when it's literally made you rich and famous? You know, if we're talking about Tom Schwartz to truly take responsibility for my energy, for my rage, the truth of who I am, how would that change my life? Would I still want to be in this marriage? Would I still have this friend group? Would it affect my success? You know, there's kind of a lot at stake for these people. That was dead on. I felt that when I got a little chills on that one. Um, now I need to move on because he's a vexing human being to me, Tom Sandoval. Mm-hmm. So this season, I have to like, so here's what I'm getting from it. And I feel like I'm, I'm totally off base, but this is just what I'm getting. I'm getting that he's desperate to make sure this show, this season is successful because in his mind, this is his chance to show that he really is the number one guy in the group. And Mm -hmm. so I'm getting that he's doing like the stuff with Katie, bringing up the like six years ago fight that, you know, with the rage texting and stuff. And in, in particular, in this scene where they're at, they're at uh, where that Tom, Tom and the four of them, Ariana, Katie, Schwartz and Sandoval are mm-hmm. sitting at the table. And and it's like Sandoval is like m- trying to make sure something happens in the scene because it's like, well, that's their job is to like make some drama happen. And then it almost like gets away from him. And he's it's like, what in the Adderall is going on with you, Tom? <laughs> because. <laughs> It's like his his veins start popping. Even Ariana looks terrified. Like, where are we going with this? Like, what is your end game? Is it just for cameras and he's getting carried away? Or is he genuinely harping on Katie Brage texting, you know, five seasons ago and also two seasons ago when Stassi and him got in the fight over the party at TomTom? I, I know. I think there's real truth to it for him. I mean, I, I I agree with you. For me, a whole thread of the season has been kind of that. I mean, the way that I've experienced it is, okay, all these people got fired. The future of the show hangs in the balance. What are we going to do? So it's felt a little bit like that to me, kind of like a, I mean, I'm sure it's always self-produced, but I, I do feel that flavor of self-produced, like, okay, we got to create something. That said, no, I mean, I will say when Tom... So there are certain statements that people will sometimes say that jump out at me where I'm like, oh, that's it. This is nothing to do with this situation. This is like the historical flavor of like what you're carrying. And when Tom made that comment to Katie where he said, what was it? It was like, stop treating me like I'm a fucking psychopath for having my feeling. I was like, that is it. Like that, this is so old for this guy. I think... I'm always really like, um, I'm really intrigued and fascinated by Tom's relationship to to women, the women in his life, the women in his friends' lives. I There's a narrative, I, I get, it, it feels complex to me, so I always get a little overwhelmed when I talk about it. Let me just slow this down. <laughs> I think there's something for him. So if we just take the Stasi situation, for example, and I think this is also as it goes for Katie, I do kind of feel this voice in him directed towards women where it's like, you get to do, and he kind of basically said this with the rage checks, like you get to do whatever the fuck you want. You can like react however you want, but if I have any kind of reaction, I'm the bad guy. And to me, it just feels like, and then I just remember him kicking that door open, Tom Schwartz, he's like a battered wife. He he paints this narrative around these like bitchy, headstrong women who are kind of responsible for dragging down 
the men, right? Which let's be honest, like Jax, Schwartz, these are not, <laughs> these are not like golden boys who are getting dragged down by the horrible women. Like these are, these are just trashy people. They're all trashy. You know what I mean? Trashy, yes. And so for Tom to be seeing it this way, I think it's revealing. And I, I just always, but here's the other thing about Tom. Cause I actually, I, I like Tom, even though this isn't his best season. Yeah. Um, I do feel like he has a big heart. And I feel like he's got a lot of love to give. I feel like he loves Ariana. And so what I noticed though, cause I'm always looking at pattern. Like I'm always looking at pattern. I noticed he's in a relationship with Kristen. And I remember them talking like we weren't having sex, you know, by the end. And I remember like the, remember how even when it came out that she slept with Jax, he was still like blindly loyal to her, blindly loyal to her. Now he's in a relationship with Ariana, who's a much better match. But from what we've heard, she's got issues with her sexuality. I don't know what's going on with that now, but I remember there was a moment where it was like, he wanted her to have an orgasm. She felt gun shy. He wants to have a family. She doesn't know if she wants kids. He wants to get married. It's always this energy in his relationships that we've seen of kind of Tom having this energy that wants to move. And then for whatever reason, the women that he's partnered with, it's like the relationship doesn't facilitate that motion of energy. So with Tom, like when I put all these pieces together, like if I were working with him, I would just straight up want to ask him about, you know, tell me about mom. It just feels like some sort of early pattern of Tom, like you, like him having this energy that wants to move and some sort of like his experience anyway, of a woman who kind of comes in there fucks with things maybe she's like overly emotional or hysterical but then kind of gaslights him if he has a response i just feel this ambivalence around women where it's like something wants to move but then it doesn't you're allowed to have all your feelings i'm not allowed to have mine and then this place where he kind of like withholds and he's like doing a slow burn anger type of thing and i as i feel into it i know i'm saying a lot i'll shut up in a second but it's like it feels like I want to be careful about what I say because I know I, I can, always know I what can I, edit it out. <laughs> okay. Well, no, because people run with things because I know what I mean in my head. And um, anyways, I want to say it's like I feel in him, it's like a like a sexually aggressive heat. Uh, meaning like that there's anger and frustration and fire and desire in this like part of him that wants to like. And so it's it, so anyways, it's it's there's yeah, I think kind of like what I was saying with Schwartz, I can imagine as Tom on the unconscious level, if there's a part of him that resents women, if there's a part of him that wants to hate fuck women, I can imagine he doesn't want to let himself know that, even though I actually feel deep down his energy towards women actually feels like again, he feels so loving and passionate. And I think he supports people. Like that's what I love about Tom. Like I think he genuinely wants the best for everyone. Like I'm getting touched as I say it. Now I need to move on or else I because I, I have to talk about Sheena. Okay. Let me just first I mean I'm gonna throw it to you first. <laughs> like because I actually don't know. I don't know if I can get as deep as I want to get into I kind of I need to warm up. What are your thoughts <laughs> on Sheena and Brock and all of this. TBD. I feel like the jury's still out. Um, I, I just feel like the jury's still out. I, you know, initially, I, he's interesting. I, um, I don't quite know what to make of him yet. I will be honest with you. Him 
showing up to Villa Rosa and literally saying I slapped her. I was like, okay, like talk about, you know, I'm talking about ownership of things. I was like, the fact that he's actually saying it and saying it out loud, I was like, this actually to me kind of bodes well for this idea that this is a guy who's learned something and he's turning over a new leaf. I will say prior to that, when I would sort of, you know, when he's breaking down in tears and stuff, like to the guys, there was part of me that was like, is this one of those situations where it, it sounds like he's acknowledging what he's done, but like, I, it still kind of feels hollow in some way. So I didn't, but then, like I said, he sort of came in, he was like, I did this thing. And I was like, okay, you know, so, I, oh, the other thing about him though, is then that scene with that dark, dark scene between him and Shane's mom, uh. like that was very unsettling. And then him and going playing pickleball, like practicing for hours in the morning. Like there's a part of him that just feels sort of out of touch in some, like I wonder about the guy who wakes up, goes to the pickleball court, practices for an hour and then still loses. Like there's something that does feel a little off, but having said all that, I, I, I when I see him and Shana together, I don't know. I just don't know. There's something to me that does feel a little bit more in reality and grounded about this okay. than Shayna with, you know, whatever, Rob Valletta, than Shayna with Adam. There's She feels a little less desperate to me. And I, again, we haven't seen that much. I don't know what she's telling herself about his past. We still don't know the whole story about his past. She seems, I will say this, She's been calm in the conversations. I, I, the jury is still out. I need to see more. I don't know what's going on yet. I, I, I'm open to the idea that this might not be the worst thing for her, but I'm not standing by that in this moment. <laughs> I kind of, I was, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I kind of hoped you'd have like more of an answer so I could like piggyback off it because I'm in the same exact boat where, okay, so Sheena's track record is horrendous. And she like with Shay, for example, she created a, a, a different person in her mind. She created mm -hmm. a guy that was like just not Shay. Like she just kind of Shay was almost like tofu and she just put whatever flavor she needed to mm -hmm. on him. And then when reality hit and he's like, I'm a whole person, I actually have addiction issues like I'm in a lot of pain like they she needed her friends there to help them tell Sheena to shut up so that he could talk because she's just incapable of like she was at the time incapable of listening to him. So anyway, that's over. Along comes Rob, which was we all saw. I mean, it was the editors had the <laughs> the editors had the time of their lives that season, making her look terrible, which she did. She looked like she looked crazy. But to me, it was just totally tracked. I was like, yeah, she had Shay. And when she realized Shay wasn't who she wanted him to be, she probably kept fantasizing about Rob, the guy that she had hooked up right before mm -hmm. getting with Shay. So then he, that becomes like that person that, oh, I could have I could have had that person. So then she created another fantasy with Rob, who then dumped her miserably. Then we get Adam. And so, of course, we're going to see her with Brock and be like, here we go again. Here goes here goes Sheena. But I was more open to him in the first two episodes, whether it was editing, he seemed like a, a perfect match for her because he's getting in the mix with the friends. He's putting together the costume for the, the fashion show. He's, I was like, this is, this makes sense. She needs someone who's going to get in the mix and wants to be in the mix for the right reasons. And so that's where I was like episodes one and two. Then we get the scene with Sheena's mom and him. 
And I was like, did he just say this is an employer employee relationship? And, and, and he looked like the, when Sheena's mom came out and cause you know, it's always if cameras rolling and conversations in front of cameras, it means a lot more like so much stuff can happen off camera, but when you're going to bring something up on camera, when she, when Sheena's mom says, so was it worth going an hour early to play pickleball? (laughs) His face is like, you fucking bitch. Cause now he knows they could use it. So he was super passive aggressive. So was she, they were both passive aggressive, but I mean, this woman is taking care of your child and I highly doubt you're writing the check for Sheena's mom. I'm pretty sure Sheena is writing the check to Sheena's mom. So she's your free childcare and you're still going to give her this much attitude. And then when Sheena's crying after her mom takes the baby away and Sheena's crying and Sheena's like, I just wish you guys would get along. I need support. And he's like, I can't make milk come out of my boobs. So what do you want? I'm like, oh my God, this is gross. This guy is kind of nasty. Um, and he said, he's like, I don't want you going around making it seem like I'm some, you know, and he like Sheena cuts him off. He's like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just, I said one little thing to, to Ariana. It was like, you, you know, we had a deal. Like we're going to do this right on camera. You're not going to make me look like a deadbeat dad. You're not going to like, let this shit come out on camera. Cause then you'll look bad too. Cause everyone's watching to see Sheena mess up. Okay. So then though, I got really, really triggered by the way Sheena granted Sheena was caught off guard because she didn't know Brock had told Lala that there was a domestic violence situation. So she was totally caught off guard and it's in front of Lisa, the queen. So that's like, oh my God. But the way she, she said, were you there? Um, How do you even know anything happened? It was like, this isn't the look, this is Mm -hmm. not the look. Domestic violence is a rampant problem in pretty much every country, but Australia is especially bad. And I think let's, even this kind of goes more to the editors. Let's be a little bit more careful in how we show this, you guys, mm-hmm. because it it was triggering as hell for me to have it be like, were you there? What a lying woman would do mm-hmm. to, you know, get back at a man. I'm like, no, 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 that's not, let's not go with this painting of the picture. And right. because again, editing did it. So it made it seem like Brock was hiding it because then back at the boy's house, he's like, go suck another dick for a Range Rover, Lala. And went to some pretty ugly places, which by the way, is so five years ago, get a new joke, Brock. <laughs> right. Um, so I, th- I just noticed a lot of weird patterns, the way he's, the way he was speaking to Lala and how he kind of tried to gaslight her. Like he was like, you're, I basically told you something in private. Uh, like we're not going to do this or no, I'm sorry. What he said was he was trying to get her to shut up. And he was basically like looking at the camera, like wait till these guys aren't here. And she was like, I'm going to ask questions. And he was like, fine, go ahead. That makes you an awful person. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Okay. I'm just getting a lot of aggression, a lot of controlling behavior. Mm -hmm. And Sheena looks scared. Like she's going to piss him off. Mm -hmm. And so it, to me, I'm like, Sheena is, and I, I know this is a bold statement, but she is someone who could so easily find herself in an abusive relationship because she makes lies up for people and she's very good at protecting the image of someone and they're misunderstood. And so I was, just, my, I was on high alert. My question though to you is, do you think Lala is really bringing this up out of concern or is this just to be shady because cameras are rolling? Um, I mean, well, that's a difficult, I mean, so my first response wants to be both, but the thing is, I also feel like 
concern, what Lala registers in her mind as concern, I kind of give the side eye. You know, I mean, I think that Lala, oh man. I, I mean, I'm also just taking in everything you just said about Shane and Brock. So I think I'm just kind of sitting with that for a moment. Oh, we can um, sit, we can sit with that too. Did I say, well, did I say something that made sense? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, look, I've, I haven't gone back and rewatched. So a lot of this stuff I'm sort of taking at surface value. And so, yeah, when you walk through it, it's just interesting. You know, it's, I mean, I, I, I guess I've believed the narrative that has been written so far, which is, you know, Brock, you know, they were two young kids in a toxic relationship. They had kids before they should have, and that there was some isolated incident, which, you know, I'm not condoning it, of course, but there was an isolated incident that then got like brought up two years later in what they're presenting anyway. It's kind of a manipulative, you know, yeah. tactic. So yeah. I was kind of buying that, you know, and going with it. And maybe understanding in that context, though it may be naive, that Brock wouldn't want this sort of out there, you know, um, and sort of him navigating that. But, you know, when I hear what you're saying, it, it's, I, I think I'm just looking at, look, I'm not an expert when it comes to domestic violence or anything like that. So, um, you know, I think I'm just sort of looking at my own way that I was interpreting the events and, you know, kind of holding your question of, is there, should there be concern for Sheena? Because it is true there. And I, I did speak to this. I, my first kind of flavor of something with Brock was that sense of you're kind of taking responsibility for something, but also it feels like there's a way that it's hollow, like you're not fully dropping into it. So, you know, is this guy dangerous? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I think the good news is they are in the spotlight. They are on, re they are on yeah. reality TV. There is a, well, I mean, I guess Taylor Armstrong, but you know, I don't know, to me it would suggest, and now it's so in the, like there's literally a conversation about it. So hopefully if it, you know, hopefully if that potential existed, um, some of that energy has been dissipated. It seems like, and again, I don't know if this is my naivete, it seems like from the way that Brock and Shane are talking now, the way that this is playing out and the, the response people are having to it, it seems like they're kind of getting a clue. Um, we kind of have to, deal with this in a real way we can't just make an excuse so you know what? you're I, right actually it might be a it's it's kind of a plus because sheena which is maybe why when lala did bring it up on camera i was like good sheena has to deal with it because sheena's very good at not dealing with reality and so you're you're right that putting it in the spotlight because they want to watch what happens live and they had to address it it may be a good thing i also have to check myself because i Sheena, this doesn't mean, by the way, that I like Stassi and Katie and Kristen. I just, Sheena for me is my least favorite on the show. And sometimes I have a tendency to like <laughs> not root for her. So even if like, I, I sometimes have to be careful that I'm not like subconsciously wanting Brock to be the bad guy and wanting to like look around some potential growth. You know what I well mean? I mean, that sort of connects to what I would say about Lala. I think the last thing I'll say, though, just to wrap up the Sheena Brock thing, I will also say, because, you know, I do sometimes poke around, you know, whatever, what the Internet's saying. There are people who are saying that actually by Lala, if Brock, let's say, is an active abuser and Sheena's in that kind of relationship, that Lala bringing this up in the way she is could actually be jeopardizing Sheena's safety. So I just want to, like, 
state that like there is a flip side to the coin that I've seen out there. People say but, this is actually that reckless. is 100% true. If you are really worried about a friend, I don't in any way think that Brock is abusing Sheena now by, by any stretch of the imagination. I just I think that he's maybe not as glowy and perfect because, you know, they have that YouTube channel where she mm -hmm. like has Brock baking on the right. YouTube channel. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is the point of this? Other than to make Brock look like some great guy, you know, to kind of distract and like wave something shiny over here. So we're like not asking more questions about why couldn't you pay child support? Didn't you come to the States to have a better life for your quote kids? And he always says that he always says, I came here to have a better life for my kids. I came here to have a better life for my kids. I think he just came here because he wanted to come to America, but he has to spin it and say that he had more opportunity here. Whatever it is, I don't think he's actively abusing her, but you are correct in that. She, if Lala really was concerned that it's happening now, you don't bring it up like that. It's interesting because it almost feels to me like this show might be an ambivalent experience for Brock or, you know, it's the expression, <laughs> you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. It's because I think about, I was thinking about the fact that he's become a cast member on this show. His dirty laundry is getting aired, but truthfully, this is going to be giving him the paycheck, you know, to make up for, you know, th these back payments. And so it's just, and if let's just go with the possibility of what we're kind of exploring here, if it is forcing him to take responsibility on a deeper level for the things in his past, I mean, you know, maybe there is something here for him and his soul's journey. Like this show came along, he thought it was going to be one thing like, oh yeah, I'm going to piggyback off Shana and da, 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 da it's proving to be something different, but perhaps it's still going to be a vehicle for him actually for doing some real work. I mean, again, hopefully he'd get additional support if he's really going to explore. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not it's, just the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I, that's what I wish for. I wish all these people could get real help, but, um, <laughs> but going back to what you were saying. So my thing about Lala, I, this is, this is my take off Lala. Like when I kind of feel into Lala towards Shana, I think, you know, and even just in terms of, you know, Brock, I, I just think with Lala, the sense that I get off her is that it's, I mean, the situation's so complex because there's so much going on with Lala. She's a very complicated woman, but um, it's almost like some part of her cannot talk. Like that thing in Sheena that I think triggers you, I mean, I'm inferring that this is what triggers you, um, it, that like her kind of, La da 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 da, like, you know, loses herself in the fantasy, everything's perfect, you know, all that glitters is gold. I, I think that's hard for Lala, to for Lala to tolerate. I think for Lala, it's weird, even though Lala has gotten this relationship with Randall, there's a way that like Lala, she, you know, well, certainly she's a fighter. She, you know, she, she's like a scavenger and a forager. Like she's made something for herself. She's so, like, she, I, I can just feel with Lala, like for her, there is not room or space for her head to be in the clouds, to be helpless, to be powerless. It's like, I'm on it, you know? And I, and I always actually feel with Lala underneath all that is like deep fear and deep terror. And she doesn't want to let herself know that place at all. I think yeah. she, on, on the unconscious level, she just feels like there's not actual help for me there. No one's going to be there for me. I cannot let myself know how scared I actually am. So she's all bluster. She's that's why it's like, you know, it's always just, you know, it's it can never just be, oh, I'm Lala and I'm on my sober journey and it's meaningful to me. It's like James isn't sober. That's personally offensive to me because of what I like. She's always like having to assert her morals and her values and her conviction. Like for Lala 
to just be inward with her own values and convictions and to let other people live. It's like, I can feel it. Like there's a thing in her that's like, hell no, I cannot tolerate that because if I'm not, if I'm not asserting myself in some way, it is this feeling of like, I'm gonna get left behind. And so I think when she sees someone like Shayna or even Raquel, who are instead, I mean, they're way in the opposite direction, right? There's like kind of a learned helplessness and powerlessness. I do think it triggers something in Lala. And I think especially, I just kind of sense, or I would speculate <laughs> a voice in her that doesn't want to see women like that get away with like having their heads in cloud, getting taken care of in a certain type of way. You gotta see he's bad. This can't work out for you. you get it together. Like life doesn't work that way. But even though for her, she might frame it as a concern, I think the charge of it for her is like, you can't get away with being this helpless because I haven't let myself be this helpless. And I think at some level, I don't usually use this word, but like a part of her, you know, maybe has jealousy around women who actually let themselves be taken care of in that kind of helpless powerless way because even in her relationship with randall which does have that power dynamic that's not really the role she plays totally you know and so i think there's some jealousy there yeah oh that was a good take lala for me like her her trajectory so like i loved lala her first season mm -hmm. i loved it i loved her second season um I feel like Randall, this is kind of a hot take, but Randall was like the worst thing that could have happened to Lala, in my opinion, because she was on this cool path of like being tough in the face of a lot of adversity, but still owning her sexuality and like, you know, meeting James and doing the music and kind of on an interesting journey. And then along comes this guy Rand with stupid amounts of money and like private jets and giving her like Gucci slides and and just made her become all like kind of for lack of a better word very republicany kind of like um better than everybody uh just disconnected like she she was she had like a nice connection to her center and like her humble beginnings and then it just took her to a stratosphere because she's so hot and so gorgeous uh and then i just i don't love what randall what Rand did to her it also then got her in with the cool kids because she had the private jet and so it like just it just changed like i wish we could go to like to a parallel dimension and see what it would have been like had lala not found randall you know I what i mean I don't think she wanted that. I mean, I, I, mean, I know it's, she it's, didn't want yeah. it. I want it. <laughs> right, right, right. I just wanted to see. But no, she wanted this. She wanted this. You're right. I mean, it's interesting, like to my own point about her fear. I'm suddenly, I'd forgotten about this. I'm suddenly remembering, remember in her first season, was it her first season or second season? I think her first, where like she bowed out like midway through because she was like getting riddled with anxiety um i think there's just i that's the thing i think she's so much more scared maybe she acknowledges it in private her public persona certainly does not acknowledge it i think she's so much more scared than she lets on and i i, I just think that yeah her the life that she's created is one that she feels very much i think in control that's told i i'm right there with you all right, I'm going to move us to Salt Lake City because I know mm -hmm. that we've already been gabbing and I don't want to take <laughs> up too much of your time. Um, all right, so let's start with the with the big one. Do you think Lisa Barlow, actually, you know what? I'm going to say my opinion first and then I'll get yours. The Lisa Barlow talking to the, the caterer, 
but whatever. So maybe by now you already know this. It's kind of been circulating, but that they shot. So they shot Salt Lake City out of order. The first mm. scene that they shot was actually the party at Angie's for the LGBTQIA. So they, that was the first scene. So the first time Lisa Barlow is seeing everybody, her friend Angie sits her down and says, the caterers pulled out because of you. And she's like, what? Oh my God, what are you talking about? So the way this was edited together really made it seem to me because they even showed a clip of Lisa saying, oh my God, it's the worst when you go to a party and there's no food. So they're like, they're really trying to show us that Lisa Barlow did this. She contacted the caterers and said, don't participate. But then after it aired, all these reports came out from like Dave Quinn's um, clubhouse that actually this was shot out of order. They got this scene. Angie was supposed to be a new housewife, but they didn't like the way she was she was coming across. She came across really produced, really planned. And so they they switched gears, went to Jenny, and then they shot that ice fishing scene to make it seem like that was the first time they were all getting together. And then they just pieced it together like that. So I don't personally think because it makes the caterers look really bad. I don't think that and uh, I'm sorry that Lisa contacted the caterers and said, I just found out that Angie's friends with Lisa. I mean, Angie's friends with Whitney. So don't do the event. And that the caterers then said, no problem. We're not going to do the event. It's now been discussed that the caterers were like, we don't want to do another free catering event where they're not even going to show off our stuff. We've got the, we've already got plans to film in our restaurant. We're just going to focus on that. It's last year we did Jen Shaw's party. It was too much work. No one even talked about us. It's just not worth it for us. So I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm like, Lisa didn't do it guys. I know for a fact, Lisa didn't do it. Then we get this last episode and, and Lisa does all the things that were set up for camera, like bringing up the guy that Jen does not want to talk about. They even have to bleep out the guy's name because they do not have clearance to use it. That was the big one. Just to, just to say, by the way, Whitney sent him free gift, free stuff, which I could even see the guy just like buying it and then posting on his Instagram, like, thanks for the products. Like, no, no, you paid for it, but whatever. She, she does that. Then she gets that guy, Cameron, to come on and talk about it. So I was like, oh, is Lisa Barlow actually as schemy as they've been saying? I still love Lisa Barlow. She's my first problematic fave. I've never ever been, I've never been the one to like the villain, you know, the one that's like clearly being edited to look like the bad guy. I've, I'm usually like mad at them, like Candace on Potomac. I'm like, I can't get on board. Barlow, I love her. I love her. Mm -hmm. I think she can, I love her just, even if she, actually, if she's doing this, I love her. I, what do I do? Yeah. Well, welcome to the world of having problematic favorites. It's a world I know well. As a Vicki Gunvalson apologist, you know, this is a world I know very, very well. You, you know, you love them warts and all, and it helps you practice unconditional love. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so is that what you're asking? What do you do with your love for Lisa Barlow? <laughs> I'm asking, what do you think? What do you think in the whole catering of it, the whole thing? What is your take on it? Oh man, look, I'm in a little bit of a bind because, well, so let me just say this. I, I too, I've loved Lisa since last season. I really had a soft spot for her. I, in the, in the interest of transparency, I will also say that Lisa, um, 
you know, she's listened to my podcast and reached out. And so I've had very, very nice, like personal interaction. She sent me a bottle of Vita tequila for my birthday. Like, so I've experienced her on a personal level as a very generous, um, I mean, truly, like we actually, like it, it really touched me with a very like, like really beautiful DM exchange that helped me feel great about what I was doing. So I, I really have a soft spot for her. So oh my God, I, know- I love that. Oh, I love that so much. I love Lisa Barlow. Okay. Continue. Yeah. I love Lisa Barlow too. And, and I'll say that aside, what I liked about her before, like, you know, I had any sort of interaction with her. Um, was that I, I could, and I still do, like, I, I always felt her heart, and I felt like, to me, her, her busyness, and her kind of, you know, what I call her ridiculousness, and her chaos, it's like, to me, it was like, oh, this is a woman, it's hard for her to slow down, it's like, she, she it's like, hard for her to, like, I can feel there's something vulnerable in her that's hard for her to tolerate, and so it's like, she's just got to go, 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 and so I think the combination of how funny she is, and that, I mean, that's the thing for me with Problematic Housewives, if you're funny, if you make me laugh, it, it goes so far with me on these shows, so, you know, here she is, she's funny, she's making me laugh, and then I can feel this sort of tenderness in her. Um, look, I'll just say this, putting all that aside, um, I was with you. I was like, okay, this seems a little weird, the catering thing, but then the receipts came out. It's like, okay, few, good, great. She's in the clear. I will say she is certainly drawing in situations <laughs> that have a certain flavor. So, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> if I were working with her and if she were saying to me, look, I'm completely innocent in all of this, I would at least be saying to her, okay, well, Lisa, we got to look at what's going on here that you keep drawing in these situations? Cause like, you know, I always believe where there's smoke, there's fire. So, something's going on here, at least unconsciously or energetically that she's, she's stirring stuff up. And I, and I will say, I, I mean, I was surprised to be, you know, tougher on her. I was a little surprised to see her going to Jen saying, can you believe Whitney did this? I haven't seen her, you know, kind of get her, like usually she's just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Like, if I don't want to deal with you, I just ignore you. This was more like, oh, this is mutual between Heather and Whitney and Lisa. Like, they're both like, I mean, don't even get me started on Heather and and Whitney. Like, they just, I can't. This is part of why I like Lisa. It's like their brand of just like not being able to let things go and dwelling on things and their need around Lisa. I'm just like, part of me understands Lisa's like, just, uh, just stop, like, stop. You guys are so passive aggressive and you're so invested in being good girls and I can't take it. Um, But that said, Lisa, you know, clearly this is a mutual thing, you know, so look, I, I, I think I want to continue to see how this plays out. Cause I know the storyline plays out, right? We're going to see Cam. This, I think his name's Cameron. Apparently he's like dead Yeah. Like rest in peace. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see more of what's he going to say? What is Lisa's role in all this? Because the thing is, and I don't know if this is me being gullible as the scene first unfolded. Cause I, I had my Eagle eye out because I, you know, I watched things the next day cause I don't have cable. And at first I was like, well, he's approaching them. Like this photographer pulled Lisa aside. Like Lisa, when she was talking to Meredith and Cameron was like talking about her kids. I was like, I don't see her like greasing these wheels in that housewives way of, you know what I mean? Like she's not dropping little hints, but then when Meredith went back to her, 
And she was kind of like, well, yeah, I know. Cameron was really traumatized by Mary. I was like, wait, so you did know about this? Like, I, I just, that struck me as strange. I thought it was so hilariously choreographed. Like, okay, Lisa's talking to Lisa's talking to Meredith and producers like, okay, Cameron, I'm going to need you to go over there now. And then so Cameron's like, hey, hey, then they have a little like, hey, oh, yeah, this is Cameron. This is my connection to Mary. Oh, talking about kids and gifts. And oh, he's he's taking care of two kids under two. Okay, cute photographer, photographer, go over there. John wasn't even in the scene at first, but like John and photographer go over and they're like, okay, let's take some pictures. I think Meredith knew what was going on too. Oh, you Whether- do? So you think they're all acting? See, I'm so gullible. I can't imagine performing for the camera like that. So I get I- it. I normally am pretty gullible myself. So I relate. Like I'm normally, it's like usually right over my head. But this one, I was like, well, that was so easily convenient <sighs> that like, Lisa and John would be pulled aside. And so then then Cameron could bring this up because then it's the way Meredith goes back to Lisa that I was like, oh, she totally knew. So so Lisa's over here talking to someone else and Meredith comes over. And the first thing Lisa says is, are you okay?" And I was like, that's not a normal conversation to ask, like normal, normal question to ask if she was just chit chatting with your friends. So Lisa knew that that conversation was going to happen. And Meredith is just giving us so much. She's like, I mean, I'm upset. Like, I am upset. I mean, granted, Meredith kind of always seems like she's acting to me. <laughs> like when her and like last season, her and Seth having their scenes, like where they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was so cringing the whole time because it always just seemed like it was completely staged for the camera. Like she's in full glam in a robe, but he's like leaving and they have this whole deep moment. I just I maybe that's just how Meredith's personality is. And I read it as her looking completely fake. But then Barlow busts out with the, I think he's experienced some real trauma. <laughs> that was the moment yeah that was the moment i was like oh okay and then she goes but i don't want to get into that right now i'm like oh no no let's not let's not get into that right now it was kind of amazing though i thought it was absolutely outstanding it was atlanta level shade because in atlanta they do that all the time the cookie lady uh apollo's new girlfriend showing up to the olg thing What's so weird is that Lisa at this point is friends with Mary. So is it Lisa doing this or is it the production doing this? But remember, Mary had just gotten all crazy on Lisa on the bus. Oh, my God. So so is that really so is that what we're going with that? Like because of that one slight Lisa like hatched this plan? I I would love it. I would be like, Lisa, get it because Mary, (sighs) Mary didn't just go at it. She also then said, is it because I'm black? on camera that's pretty big that's like and she that's when remember lisa's like when she did that she's like okay listen we're gonna do that again and we're gonna have a problem like you're gonna try that again like that was like dude what was that i mean angie see this is what's so interesting to me so i'm gonna say two things because angie did make that comment where she was like this is the type of stuff i've seen lisa do throughout our whole friendship so she and yeah when she said that i was like okay well that's an interesting comment to make but the second thing the part, the second part about that then is like, but wait a second, then why have you been good friends with her for 20 years? Like if you're saying that she's this cutthroat woman who does shady shit to undermine you behind your back, what does it say about you that you've been so close to her? That you used her to get on the show and now the second you're on the show, I, I don't know, it's all so convoluted. So I don't- No, that I part, don't... that part when, as soon as Angie, she was introduced to us as Whitney's friend, 
and so quickly was like in a scene with Whitney. And I was like, whoa, that's a big choice. Cause I, I've said this on the po- on my podcast a bunch of times. If let me live in a land of pretend, let's say I'm on a, I'm on a reality show and I'm with a bunch, it's like a housewife. Let's say I'm on a real housewives of Encino and the whole season goes by. I have one or two people that I'm not getting along with. If my friend of 20 years, if I got her on the show and then she became friends with that one or two people that I don't get along with, I'd be like, what are you doing? Cause I yeah. am, lo- I am loyal like that. And so I wouldn't go out of my way to be like, I'm cousins with her. Oh my God, we're friends. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa, what are you talking about? I thought I made that, that made Angie look shady, but someone said that it's possible that because Lisa is kind of like big in Salt Lake city, that maybe the friendship is more out of like convenient, not convenience, but like a fear of like being out, out, outed in the, what am I trying to say? Like kicked out of the, of the social scene or something. Does that make sense? Yeah, except that Lisa, I think, referred to them as like being friends for 20 years. And that's and that makes me sad for Lisa. Like I was like, how does no one feel not like how does no one feel bad for Lisa that her friend was willing to go on this show and talk all this shit about her? Um, I just yeah, I don't know what to believe. The problem, the, the, the thing that makes this difficult too, and I do think this happens a lot of times where it's like a perfect storm of stuff. I mean, I, I felt that way with Vicky and Brooks. I kind of felt that way with Erica Jane, where it's it's, you know, sometimes their own Achilles heels just gets in the way and then makes them look even worse than like what's actually going on. So with Lisa, you know, the truth is, yes, we've seen since last season, there's something very defensive in her. And it's very hard for her to just take anything in. And her way of dealing with things, the second something comes in that kind of goes against her image of herself or the image that she wants people to like see of her, she just slams it down really defensively. And so it makes, it's hard because it makes her seem even, it makes the shadiness seem even more extreme because she's just not willing to like stop, slow down, take someone in, come from like connect with herself and then come from a truthful place. And it's like, how, I mean, cause we even saw it right with, um, I was thinking about just how she was so desperately trying to fix the situation between Jen and Meredith this season. And it's like, even in that, which again, to me, for me, like when I feel into that, that I think she experiences Jen as very vulnerable. Like she even talked about that in Vegas. Like she saw Jen afterward and just saw how vulnerable she was. And I think it's hard for Lisa. I think she gets touched by that kind of thing, but then it's hard for her to tolerate it. So, So I think her way of dealing with it is like, we got to fix this. We just got to fix it and we got to move on. And you saw how frantic she was in that. And it's almost like, so I start to wonder with these situations, like, yeah, maybe there's some unconscious, semi-conscious, stealthy shit she's doing. But then because of how defensive she gets, because of how frantic she is, because of how she won't even like entertain the possibility of an X, Y, or Z, it then like creates something so much like bigger and more um, it just seems almost more what's the word like just sketchier than perhaps it even was in the first place. I don't know. Yeah, Because like, like at the reunion when she can't even hear anything that Whitney is saying. And and then like later when she references it, she's talking about how Whitney's destroying her character. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, she wasn't really destroying your character. She was saying, I feel like, rejected by you I feel like you talk down to me and she just can't hear any of that so she so she just gets mad at it well okay I mean I guess I'll wrap us up I've been 
we've been talking for a while. I feel guilty enough doing that on a Sunday to you. Thank you so, oh. so, so, so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, no, my pleasure. You're, it's, it's always fun to have an intelligent, insightful, deep housewives conversation. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Another shout out to Jamie Stein. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with me doing the Lord's work. Um, if you want to follow him, he is on Instagram at Jamie Stein. And his podcast is pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts called Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Um, he's wonderful, as you can tell. Check him out. And guys, I, I don't ever do any plugs for myself other than like follow me on Instagram. But can you leave a review? Maybe? That'd be cool. Just like leave a little review and be like, you know, whatever. Even if you just put, even if you star rate it. Um, I'm not, I'm not good at plugging this. So, you know, just do it. Okay. Anyway, guys, love you. Mean it. And I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.